Hi, this is Kathy St. George. I like to talk about my body. I don't know about my work. I try to do as little of that as possible. I make everyone else look beautiful. In fact, I'm really a man. You're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're... All messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Welcome yet again to another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast to guarantee a total waste of electrons. And you get to hear stuff. In this week, episode 476, it's another pandemic countdown day here. So, back in Area 51 with Trevor and Friends. We're still in social distancing mode, and because of the need for social distancing and the clogging of Web Central, the world is still caught up on Zoom and and Skype and all this crap. It's difficult to get a good solid signal, so we're once again using a paired back cast, hoping for the best, (laughs) whatever we call the best at this point. (laughs) Uh, At some point, Commander Cam will get used to my taunts. Uh, I've, I've actually spent the day taunting him today. Um, and I, I've threatened to reprocess him because we all know Soylent Green is human and he's as close to human as we get here in Area 51. So it's just Commander Cam and me tonight. So Commander Cam, um, we're, we're, we're about ready to, uh, hit into the home stretch before our, 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 uh, 500th show and, you're supposed to be getting me my present for the 500th show. What have you? What are you getting me? You know, you know, Dope, you've been doing this all day. You keep calling me up saying, so Cameron, I just want to check in, make sure you're doing everything you're supposed to. So what are you getting me for that surprise present? That's you right. Know, it's not a surprise if I tell you. But I can give you a hint. Okay. It can fit inside a TARDIS. Hmm. Is it bigger than a bread box? Does it Possibly. breathe without a respirator? Uh, possibly. Does it need to have its toenails clipped? No, 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 no. That's not even an issue. Yeah, yeah. Trust me. Can it eat? Without assistance. Define without assistance. No, no, I refuse. <laughs> I absolutely refuse. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think I think well, if you if you qualify what it does as eating, then <sighs> maybe. Is it a wombat? Close. All right, I give up. We'll try again next week. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. <sighs> so about 
um, what is it, March? It's March. I have to figure out when this was. Hold on, I have to look at my calendar for a second. Uh, um, about, about three or four months ago, we talked to Trevor Fernandez-Lankowitz about his, his very first shot at putting together his, his very first uh, attempt at his very first comic book Kickstarter, which was called Area 51, The Helix Project, number one, which had just been funded and published. And we talked about what a hassle it was. But we noticed at the end of that, that it was num part one. And we congratulated him on getting funded, getting published, sending it out to everyone. And we said, but we noticed that it was part one and there better be a part two because it was very interesting and very fun and very clever. And congratulations on coming back because last night part two got funded. So welcome back, Trevor. Thank you guys. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this interview uh, pretty much since we hung up the the call on the last one, so <laughs> it's good it's good to be here, um, and I'm 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 glad to be talking to you guys. As Mel Brooks said during History of the World Part One, it's good to be the king because you made it through a second Kickstarter, and you just funded uh, Area 51, the Helix Project Part Two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, when we spoke at the end of Part One just as you were literally getting it printed and published and, and mailed out, you had said part two's already written. Mm -hmm. And, and we, as soon as we finished that interview and literally shut off the recorders, you said, yeah, it's written and it, and it, it feels really good. <laughs> and I went, okay, but now you've got to go through this whole goddamn Kickstarter thing again. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we both know what a huge pain in the ass that that can be. Uh, can it not? Absolutely. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a beast in and of itself. You know, you, you go through the creative process and the collaborative process, and then you have to be the one man marketing team. And uh, yeah, that's that's a whole nother experience. Whole lot of sleepless nights and, and painful afternoons and. God, how many mood elevators could you take in a 30-day period? <laughs> Let me tell you, if if uh, if I had the cognizance to pay attention over the course of the last 30 days, I'd tell you. Oh, it's horrifying, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> horrifying sleep deprivation. Oh, just just uh, your friends, your family—they all hate you at the end of that 30 days. Oh, 100%. They're all, they're, they're all just like, get your stupid picture book out of my face and out of my newsfeed. Like, and, and I refuse to. So. <laughs> Which is sometimes what you got to do to make sure that you get it funded. Absolutely. It's a hustle. It's an, it's absolutely a hustle, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, with, without the pandemic and the lack of conventions, this is, this is what I got. And if I got to abuse it a little bit to get this book out there and to get people to look at my long ass name, you know, as as a potential candidate for their eyes uh, or at least, you know, my work as a potential candidate for their eyes, then, yeah, I'll do what I got to do. But then again, it would have been so much more difficult for them to remember a name like Jimmy Smith. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't make it easy for him to forget my name. Nice job there, by the way. I mean, you, if you could have made up any other name, this is a great made up name. Good Listen, job. You should send your compliments to my mom. <laughs> now, when we talked, you you had put together a team for the first book. Mm -hmm. uh, and I noticed that uh, Marcelo Sal Salazar, mm -hmm. uh, Marcio Fieri and Taylor Esposito are still the same team for you in the, in the second book. Is this a team that you basically uh, for a visual continuity keeping for the whole series of this book? Absolutely. And, you know, the last time I was with you guys, we talked a little bit about the sort of growing pains of, of learning how to work with different people and knowing how they like to work as opposed to how I like to work and how that's going to mesh. And there is something to be said for kind of getting in our own rhythm. And now, you know, after issue one, we begin to pick up each other, pick up on, on each other's rhythm and, and get in pace and get in sync. And I think it shows in issue two. And I think it shows in pretty much every other issue to come so far uh, that, that, you know, we're, we've all just sort of adjusted. Um, and a big part of it is, like you said, a visual continuity. You know, like I'm, I'm a Wednesday warrior. I go to my comic book shop just about every week to pick up my books. And nothing bothers me more than when stylistically, you know, in terms of the visuals, a book changes in the middle of an arc. Because I, the, the art is a huge part of curating the experience. And I'm not done curating the experience of this story arc. Uh, so therefore... I want it to feel complete and whole and um, uninterrupted. One of the things that I can tell you is that there's a definite maturational feel between book one and book two, uh, not only visually, but also in terms of storyline, which mm. I think is really important. Um, I noticed, and I, and I think Cam also noticed, that in book one the story was a young story and we could feel that it was just getting started the second story felt a lot more mature mm -hmm. uh it parts came together a lot easier you began to draw more things into it and it felt as if it was moving closer things were moving into it and it also began to uh i don't know if gel is the right word or or sure. um it's 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 hard to tell but it's it's hard to explain what it was doing but it was definitely from a standpoint of of the reader you began to to look for more pieces as it was as 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 you were moving along through it uh and i from a visual and from a reader standpoint enjoyed it much more excellent uh and it was a lot of fun awesome yeah i i am overwhelmingly glad to hear that um you know part of it is because and and we mentioned it last time i don't remember if it was off air but the intent of the first issue was to do a lot of the setup right to give me the right. freedom Right. In issue two. And, and I said, I think I said point blank to grab you by the balls and do as I please. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, you, you know, did. Uh, for 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 the sake of uh, 
keeping things adult and dirty, I'm having my way with every single one of my readers now. Uh, <laughs> Pretty I, much, yeah. Now that and I should do, absolutely. Yeah, so I think the reason, and part of it is definitely a comfortability factor, I think, just in the way that I'm carrying myself in the prose and the way that I'm uh, I'm working with Marcelo to direct the book visually, I think that's definitely been a level up. Where I will say in terms of plot and character, you know, the, the whole reason I set up issue one the way I did and, and just kind of gave you breadcrumbs to nibble on in terms of story, but gave you a lot of character and theme was so that by the time we get to plot, by the time we do the things that we're doing in issue two, they hit, right? You're going to feel them. When, right. when, um, Without spoiling too much, when when Kent and M make their way up into uh, that building in the grimy 1970s New York City, you don't really expect who's going to who's going to be behind the door and uh, how they're going to be packaged, so to speak. Exactly. Um, Yeah, that's that's the part we do want to tiptoe around. But I will say, because I think you remember last time we talked, I said, you know, we agreed, you know, there's a lot of character development, but there were just there was there was like tiny little hooks. But. By the time I got to that last couple panels of that of, of your second book, there was a really, really big hook that is sunk into my side right now. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it felt like a tuna on a gaff at a number of points there. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, very at which much point, so. Uh, I really do think that from page 20 on, we're in spoiler territory, and I'm not willing to talk about that uh, during the recording of the show tonight. Mm. Uh, but once we're done, I will definitely grab you by the ears and flip your head into the sidewall. Um, yeah. <laughs> one, of these, one of these days when the world begins to resemble normalcy, we'll do a spoiler cast and uh, and get into full full details. Yeah, that but might I, be an interesting one as well. A spoiler cast for after the books have been shipped and delivered. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a, <laughs> it'd be a lot of fun to look back on for sure. Um and you'll probably it's funny because you'll you'll probably catch me at a time where I'll be so dead tired of seeing the pages from the issue that my mind will be thinking about, you know, these these grand delusions. But, hey, we'll be there. So the question in my mind, even though we can't deal with the spoilers, is. Is this arc going to be a five or six issue? Uh, and have you figured that part out completely? Absolutely. Yeah. So as of right now, six issues is where I, I, I'm capping this arc off. Um, if things go well and we continue to build momentum on this book and these Kickstarters look feasible, I would like to get to the point where instead of doing a sixth issue, I can do a double sized issue five and give the readers a story in a much more digestible way. And to be completely frank, the only reason that this isn't, say, a three double-sized issue book um or three double-sized issue series is because it's just expensive you know all of that money uh comes from me you know i'm I'm a college kid at work uh there's only so much that i can do and and keep my head above water you know uh and and to be 100 uh, you know on another level of frank uh, a lot of guys in my position don't think about their future financially and they'll go balls deep in on their work and that's a beautiful thing but I'm also trying to invest for my future. You know, I'm 23. Uh, I, I want to make sure I have money going into a retirement account while building my career. And so, you know. What a stupid thing for you to do. Seriously. <laughs> what the hell were you thinking? I don't know, man. It's it's probably the coffee. <laughs> 
You should be drinking Bombay gin like I am. You wouldn't be thinking about that at all. I'm a bourbon. I'm a bourbon guy, at least, you know. Oh, well, that's your downfall right there. That'll kill you. That (laughs) shit will kill you. I know. What are you talking about? Bourbon's good stuff. I'm an uncultured swine. I know. (laughs) That's okay. You've got a fellow uncultured swine here. (laughs) Sick. When I'm not drinking the mint tea for the podcast, that's what I'm drinking. So. Listen, the the day that we can finally link up in a studio and and have one of these sort of live, uh, I will bring a good bottle of bourbon. Cam and I will enjoy it, and perhaps we will convert Dome. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Seriously, I think we (laughs) all know better than that. You'd be surprised. (laughs) I have good taste. I have really good taste. And I have none at all, so I think we all know that. I'll I'll bring a backup. (laughs) Oh, I thought he said bat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. That that would go well. Yeah, yeah. For about five minutes. That's about <laughs> it. Perhaps. Um, I forgot where I left off on the book. I got distracted by bourbon and bats. <laughs> My point in that was that I'll assume that you've got all six episodes at least blocked out, if not somewhat written out at this point. Yeah. Yeah, um, I am finishing the script to issue five. Uh, six is like the whole story has been been blocked out, outlined. Um, but, I, you know, w- when it comes to my outlining process, I'm not overly rigid because when you outline stuff, you, you don't know at that moment, especially what the characters need, what what is going to be. You know, not what not what you want for those characters, but what do those characters need? And for me, it's about making this story character driven making those the the sort of attachment points for people to get in on and so you know for example my my villain of this story changed completely uh by the time i got not completely but i think he was given so much more depth once i wrote issue two in those very sort of small moments where you do get to see him um so while you know i have things sort of paced out and blocked out it's not super rigid. You know, I could get to issue three and find a, a, a more natural conclusion for, for a character or, um, you know, figure out something that they need more than what I think that they did before I had gotten to a certain point with them. I'll be honest with you, because right now, um, as I reach the end of book two, mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to throw a mild spoiler into the mix right now. Sure. Uh, I'm confused to who the villain is. Yeah, it's it's um, I think that the character that might be confusing you is going to end up being a sort of sleeper favorite of a lot of people. And I think that that character and, is and let let me let me shade it by saying she very well might be in the long run, but right now she isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she's probably the character, honestly, um, that I might be. Uh, there's a contender, but I think she actually might be the character that I'm uh, one of the ones that I'm most proud of writing because I think she's really complex. And I think in ways she is both relatable and unpredictable. Um, and I think that she's going to do a lot 
for the overall narrative of the piece, but also for Kent, you know, um, and, and the sort of trials and also sort of helping hands that she will lend it to him. And I, I really do think that you should be proud of that, of her, um, seeing as we've, we've, we've given her a, uh, well, not quite a name, maybe a pronoun, but, um, is that the fact that she, I agree with you. She is, she is a wonderfully, psychologically, she is such a one, she's, by the end of the book, she's just gotten so deep and you're just wondering how deep that pool is that, you know, that she draws from so that for why she does the things that she does, Mm. you know, she is just, she is a wonderfully well-written character. She is part of that hook that I mentioned this now in my side is, you know, I want to know, What's the psychology behind, you know, what, what, what makes her tick? What is, what is she like, you know, on, on a, on date night, does she like Thai food or does she go out for Kentucky fried chicken? You know, you might find out because, you know, this character and Kent are going to be spending some time together in the next couple issues. So who knows? Answers abound. I like it. All the help. (laughs) And the other thing that you've done besides uh, creating and maintaining these wonderfully complex characters which started out i may say as looking deceptively simple Mm -hmm. and you very quickly turned them into very complex characters is you've played fast and loose with time Mm. and 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 uh age but done it in such a way so that we're constantly questioning time expansion, time contraction, time dilation, how how things age, how how um, so time for humans, time, uh, and 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 time dilation across a human frame and across an alien frame, and how that can be different, and um, and how it is different. Um, and I kind of like it because it because the difference between the two uh, as as uh, is another way of keeping you guessing to how things are how things move between the two. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad that that somebody paid attention to something like that, because, you know, trying to keep a sense of pace, not only in the sort of overall scheme of of a six issue series and and even more confined a single issue series are between moments you know because that's going to totally change the way they're going to impact the reader and how the reader is going to process those things so it's something that uh i think throughout the course of writing this series that i've become increasingly more aware of and when i sort of set out originally you know like a year ago to start writing all of this i don't know if that was 100 percent the case but it was one of those things that I felt like could be expressed, even if subtly, um, throughout the course of this issue, that will change the way that everything is being sort of delivered. If people, when you read this, uh, readers out there, you need to pay attention to the way time is developed between 1945 and 1980, and the way characters developed throughout that time and you will see some really really subtle things going on there that you might miss otherwise and if you miss them you're missing 
something really interesting in the way uh, Trevor's putting this together. Uh, it's really subtle and and <clears throat> it's something really different about the way these characters are doing. And I like it a lot. I like it a lot, man. It's it's something I've not seen done in many uh, many comics, many uh, many science fiction stories at all. Yeah, you know, I'm constantly kind of trying to make sure that I'm taking advantage of the genre storytelling because, you know, issue one, admittedly, I think was just a lot more grounded and personal and internal with sort of more flavor of of sci-fi. And I would say issue two feels a little bit more crime noir with more sci-fi sprinkled in. And so I'm trying to take the tools that these genres are giving me and, and play with them as much as I can in ways that I think will better the story. And even if it's not explicit, uh, I still want to give it a go. You know, I think one of the things that I can openly admit to in the series, especially being such a young writer, is that I think I'm trying to do things that are or that would have been traditionally outside my range of ability. But my goal is to swing for the fences and produce a book that is as good, if not better than what I think I'm capable of. It never hurts to try. And if you try, you'll know when you make it. Mm. And if, if it takes three or four attempts, you know, (laughs) I think, and it's hard to explain, but, I really think you'll know when when you when you do it right. And I think this was a, a really good really, really good attempt. And and it works. Awesome. I really uh I I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it when I finally figured out that there were <sighs> what I and and I the reason I'm hesitating here is I'm trying desperately not to give away the last seven pages of book two. Mm. But when I realized what it was that was actually happening, I just sat there and I grinned at it and I went, that's really cool. Mm. Those, those, and, and I'm, I'm really, really glad to hear that specifically because when it came down to me editing uh, the script, those last couple pages, really from page 18 or 19 to the I end. I was going to say page 19 to the uh, – actually, page 18, yeah. Page 18 yeah. on, when you when you when when it switched from color to black and white, mm-hmm. and then you had – you sprinkled in a couple of color panels in uh, up until page – 2223 and then went back to color there it was a conscious decision to go totally black and white except for that sprinkling of color there mm-hmm. and it was well well thought out very well thought out thank you yeah it i mean it that those last couple pages were probably the most actually definitely the most scrutinized by me uh, as both the writer and the editor um there was a lot that I was trying to pull off both in how I was handling tone and pace and making sure that things felt simultaneously satisfying 
and nerve-wracking enough to get somebody prepared to pick up issue three. Um, and that a big part of that is also just the need in this format to write for the arc and the issue, right? So not only do I need to make sure that everything contributes in terms of actual happening and pace to the overall story, but like each issue needs to needs to feel fulfilling. Uh, and each issue needs to make the reader go where where the actual hell is the next one. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really glad to hear that, frankly. But you realize what you've done now is you set a very ugly high bar. This um, these these characters begin to do some pretty interesting things. And um, namely that character that we were talking about earlier that I was priding myself on being complex. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll call them M. I don't think they're going to be overly predictable, uh, if predictable at all. And the thing that I like most about that is because I don't feel like the unpredictability is going to be like, oh, well, you're just having this character do something we don't expect for the sake of. I think it it is even now been ingrained into who they are. And it will be expanded upon when we when we give you a little bit more of a of a of a bite of why she is the way she is and her psychology and and her sort of emotional capacity. That makes sense. Uh, it really does. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that's kind of where I was going with what I was saying. Is I want to know more about the psychology of this character because it really is interesting. And again, like I said, we when we get when we we shut off the recordings, we that don't I will we'll go gleefully into spoiler land. But there's <laughs> something in those last couple panels that M does that just it's like it's like it really makes me want to know how does this person tick and why, and that's yeah. And and the thing that I I enjoyed most about those last couple bits and even even with uh the character colonel winters that you see um well technically you see him twice actually you do see him twice if you pick up on it um and it is that these characters you know we we talk we talked about how one of the major themes of this story is mental health and we get a glimpse of kent uh, and his sort of mental and emotional state in the first issue and obviously further on because he's our protagonist but these characters are dealing with problems that were largely undiagnosed in the seventies, you know? Um, and so I do really want to explore what happens to people like that when they go without help, you know? And it's not in the sense that, you know, I, I hate the sort of laziness of, of some writers when they're just like, yeah, of course, uh, the bad guy is mentally ill and, and like, it's, it's schlocky. And here, like, this might be sort of, pessimistic but like we've all kind of got our own problems like the protagonist is also kind of mentally ill so what does that mean like what does that say about the world that we live in how are our experiences and our interactions with other people shaping us into who we are for better or for worse you know what i'm saying yeah definitely i mean i had this same conversation earlier today with a friend of the show and i was talking with her i said you know, it is our experiences that make us into who we are. Even the, the, the horrible ones that we've had, you mm-hmm. know, they form us for either good or bad. We make that decision. But those horrible events and those good events and the good people and the horrible people in our lives, they help drive us in certain directions. How we interact with those, them and how we 
what decisions we make then are, is us. But yeah, there is a lot to be said about, you know, and this is what I mean by psychology, is watching the psychology of these characters and wanting to know, you know, what it is that makes M the way they are, what it is that makes Ken the way he is, you know, you know, why do they, why do they react, you know, and I'm beginning, and, and I'm beginning to understand why you, you built book one the way you did, because mm-hmm. you wanted to lay that groundwork, just like, and I've used this once before, and it's in, I'll use it for you as well. It's like, because one of my other favorite things besides science fiction is mystery writing, and my favorite mystery writer is Agatha Christie, mm. and my favorite, you know, character is Hercule Poirot, who always wants to know the psychology, and at first, you know, when I was reading these, I would go, why does he want to know? But the more I read, the more I realized, because the psychology of a character is very important, because especially if you're going to be doing writing, you know, mm-hmm. because that te- that tells you what the character is going to do as you go through. And it, it, it helps the reader also understand why a character does it so that when the character does something, it doesn't feel like it's coming out of right field. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely the methodology, because I think a lot of the times twists or um, these shifts in character happen out of nowhere for the sake of shock. And I can't stand spectacle for the sake of spectacle or shock for the sake of shock it needs to it that shock needs to be warranted by the world or by the characters and you know it is both because these characters are a product of the world they live in and and vice versa right the world is made by the people within it so when when a character makes a decision that is oh wow like at the end of issue two I never want it to to be a surprise because it it's something that that character would never do, right? That would be doing a disservice to my readers and doing a disservice to my characters, uh, especially with these characters being like really the first characters that have ever seen the light of day. Uh, I care about them, um, and not in a way that they're all going to be safe because goddamn nobody's safe, as you guys can tell. But yep. um, what's going to happen with them is what needs to happen, as far as far as my ability as a writer can command it so you're now at the end of issue two you're Mm. about to dive into the uh fermentation if you can if of issue three yep let's look back at issue one for just a minute now looking back at your main characters how do you think they've changed over this time i think i mean the Really, the the thing about the first issue is that in terms of main character who who you're spending time with, it's mostly just Kent. You know, other characters are sort of teased. But what I wanted out of the first one was for somebody to get a deep dive into this this really lonely soul um, and to kind of consider the downfalls of how he's marinated on the loss of his father um, and, and the sort of life that comes out of that for him. And also, you know, the the very uh, once you read it, the very obvious differences between Kent and the rest of the world. So for him, you know, this second issue, like kind of stemming from the the last bit of issue one, have been his world being completely turned upside down, mm-hmm. um, and to be faced with things that were that were simply meant to be apparitions of his past, and you know. <laughs> That all changes when a ghost becomes tangible, right? And it very much becomes that for him. And this is uh, 
I don't know. I, and I guess I'll use this loosely because, you know, I, I love the idea of uh, James Campbell's A Hero with a Thousand Faces. And while this isn't certainly not the hero's journey because it's not necessarily a hero's journey, uh, a hero, yeah, a hero story. Um, I think that there's something to be taken out of it. And it is he is being dragged into the into the underworld, so to speak. He is being forced to face these problems um, mm-hmm. that have haunted him. And now, you know, we're beginning to get to the point between issues three and four where he either has to be active in making those decisions or he can be passive and he can let it ruin him. So we're now at the end of issue two. Mm -hmm. You're about to go into the fulfillment phase of the Kickstarter. God help you. (laughs) (laughs) and that should take about what month month and a half to get you through that yep then you start work on the process phase of issue three well to be honest with you we'll probably start um art for issue three will probably start in the next two to three weeks you are a busy son of a bitch aren't you (laughs) that yeah that's one way to describe me (laughs) What are you going to do when this pandemic's over and you get a life? Um, hopefully I'll have a career writing comic books by then. <laughs> so hopefully, 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 um, the, the hustle, hopefully, hopefully the hustle will be uh, artistically and financially fulfilling enough to where, uh, you know, maybe by that point you will have read two or three different series with my long ass last name on it. You're well on your way, my friend. This is, this is a great start. And, uh, it's been fun to watch you work your way through it, and uh, I hope you'll remember us. Oh, you guys will be my first interview when uh, when Image or Marvel or DC decides to pick me up. Don't you worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that would be very, very, hey, very cool. Glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, but between now and then, uh, we'll be looking forward to issues number three, four, five, and six of uh, Area 51. The Helix Project, because uh, this is something you don't want to miss when Mm -hmm. issue three becomes available through Kickstarter. Trevor, you need to come back. Absolutely. 100%. And for anybody listening, like I said, get on the train now. You know, the, the, the more support we can see in these early stages, the more that might warrant, warrant that double that double-sized issue five. And if we do that double-sized issue five, that means we move on into the next thing and no hyperbole i think that the next couple of things that i have planned outside of the helix project um are going to be a hell of a lot of fun um they're going to be i I mean truly i think they're going to allow me to kind of flex my writing muscles in a way that i haven't gotten to do yet because of the sort of early stages of anxiety in this being my first thing ever um and you know i I look forward to growing as a writer and i look forward to growing with the people that decide to give me a chance from from the the ground stages at some point this pandemic will end at some point we're all going to be able to find you at a con Mm. at some point we're going to be able to sit down and talk Mm -hmm. and until then we're going to have way too much fun watching you do this shit being able to buy it through Kickstarter and watching you grow as a writer 
watching you produce as a creator and just being able to say, hey, I knew Trevor Fernandez Lenkowitz when his name was unpronounceable. <laughs> Thanks, Trev. Oh, thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. Like I said, I I look forward to sitting down with you again and and uh, maybe not being so coy about the spoilers like we've had to be tonight. Oh, shit. We'll keep doing that. Not a problem. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you can find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying... Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus, we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. This is my brother Yako.